The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain. I'm living in Canada, and I've worked in the U.S. And since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is a young man's journey from adolescence to adulthood via quadriplegia. So what's quadriplegia? Well, it's a condition in which both legs and both arms are paralyzed totally or to a major degree. It's commonly caused by spinal cord injury from a serious accident. Its effects include loss of ability to move, which often affects the hands as well as the arms and legs, loss of sensation, except, paradoxically, the sensation of pain, and various complications, such as risk of pressure sores. doesn't yet have a cure, though research is intense. Its treatment is aimed at helping the individual achieve independence and in the early stages, making sure that the complications and the results are minimized as far as possible. Now, to talk about a journey to independence despite quadriplegia, uh, my guest is Dr. J.R. Harding, who has personal experience because he broke his spinal cord not once, but twice. Now, J.R. has a doctoral degree in education. He's the external affairs manager for the U.S. Agency for Persons with Disabilities. He often serves as a disability expert to guide private business and other stakeholders on the Americans with Disabilities Act. In his work, he's been privileged to serve former President Bush, Governor Chris, former Governor Bush and former Governor Child and his fellow disabled citizens. He assists the U.S. Access Board, Commission for Transportation Disadvantage, and the Able Trust Board. He previously served the Election Assistance Commission, the Governor's Commission on Disabilities, the Florida Building Commission Waiver Council, and the former Governor's ADA Working Group. He is a graduate of Leadership Tallahassee, Class 19, and Leadership Florida, Class 27. He frequently presents at national, state, and local conferences on abilities, needs, and obstacles facing persons with disabilities. And he co-founded the 
Florida Disability Mentoring Day initiative. JR, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Gordon. It's a privilege to be here today. Great to have you. Now, I'm going to start straight away. Please tell us some more about your life and your work as it is right now. Well, right now, I feel like I'm one of the luckiest people in the world because I get paid to remove the obstacles and the barriers to freedom and independence um, for individuals with disabilities in America. It's quite fabulous to be able to every day have the privilege of changing people's lives, helping them get to where they need to be, and most importantly, helping them achieve employment so they can be able to contribute to society. And so I feel truly blessed, but it took a long time to get to where I am today. And that's what we're going to be talking about, is that journey that, you, that, journey that you've traveled. So my next question to you is please go back to the beginning and tell us about the way the quadriplegia occurred, the two spinal cord injuries, and what happened in the first few weeks after the injury or injuries. Okay. Well, back in 1983 was my senior year in high school, and I was one of those six foot five, 230-pound athletes who was going to go off to college not because I had good grades but because I could run faster and jump higher than other people. And on a Saturday night, I tried to walk away from a schoolyard fist fight, which was just adolescence misbehavior and the inability to resolve problems. And when I turned and did the right thing and walked away from the fist fight, I was thrown down on the ground to start the fight. I landed funny and instantly snapped the fifth vertebrae on my spinal cord. When I laid on the ground and they kicked me to get up, I told them I couldn't. They stood me up. My legs went out from under me. They laid me back down on the ground. And I said, would you finally get some help? They, they ran to get the EMTs and the doctors. And um, eventually I was put on a helicopter and flown to Chicago where I was blessed because Chicago was one of the leading neurological facilities in the country at the time. Approximately three days later, I awoke with screws screwed into the side of my head with over 80 pounds of traction in my neck on what's called a striker frame bed that helps prevent pressure sores and other kinds of bad things that occur to people who have a paralyzing injury. Soon thereafter, my stomach perforated due to the stress and the pain and the lack of communication that an adolescent is not used to expressing their feelings. So I found myself back in the uh, uh, operating room for them to fix my stomach. Soon thereafter that, my lungs collapsed. So rather than a quick stench in the uh, ICU, and then to be run off to the uh, rehab facility, I spent six weeks in the ICU before I eventually made it over to the rehab facility, where I spent the next six months of my senior year in high school to learn how to be a quadriplegic 
and most importantly, as you expressed in the earlier part of the show, to learn how to manage my body, my issues, and to prevent complicating issues that would prevent me from having an independent and fruitful experience in a non-accessible world at the time. J.R., you've written a book, a new book, um, about this story. I want to know, first of all, why did you write the book? And then I'm going to ask you to tell us more about it. But first of all, why did you write that book and what's it called? Well, I, I wrote it for personal reasons. Call it a bucket list item. But more importantly, I wrote it to make peace with myself. And then the final piece I wrote it is right now in America and in the world, we need hope. We've got economic depression. We have wars. We have national disasters. And a lot of bad things are happening to a lot of good people for unknown reasons. And it was my hope, my desire, that my journey through the unknown, on the road less traveled, might inspire others to be able to set goals, to learn how to ask for help, and to be able to succeed in rebuilding their lives. Now, let me just say to you that that's a goal for a book, which is extremely important. So, practical question, what's the book called, and basically, what's it actually about? The book is called Now What? And Now What, for me, means that one day the world is perfect, and the next day the world is in complete disaster, while the rest of everybody's life is going on as if nothing has occurred. And so the book in itself is a journey, my journey, through three separate um, mind-blowing tragedies that I was able to overcome to grow from each and every time and essentially, in a sense, prepare me for my life's calling as an advocate, a policymaker, and a leader within the disability community. And so I truly believe that each piece of this journey, while it was tragic, while it was horrific, it allowed me to grow in ways that makes me very good at what I do today. So would you go so far as to say that it was almost as though this was a plan? That is to say... Well, well, Gordon, you know, I'll, I'll confess I'm not the most religious of individuals and was forced to go to church as a young man. But I truly believe that, yes, there was almost some kind of divine intervention, one for me to have the courage and the ability to survive and not quit when faced with death on two different occasions. And I deeply believe that, yes, this perhaps was my mission for my time here on Earth. How much of that spirit, because it is a spirit, J.R., comes through in the book. How much do you address that spirit in the book? Well, the the spirit in the book, I think the, the perseverance, the never willing to quit, um, is there throughout the book. In two different occasions, and both in the first tragedy as well as in the third tragedy, 
I think the readers come firsthand with my fight for life as when the last rites were read to me when I was 17 years of age and knew it was not my time to die. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say, follow up on that particular point, you knew it wasn't your time to die. We've only got a minute, but just please say, what gave you that sense? Well, it gave it to me because I knew I was supposed to graduate, and that's where the title came from when my father stood over my bed with pain, with frustration, with unknowing, and fathers fix things, and my father couldn't fix this. And he said to me, now what? And I said I needed to graduate. So that was the next step, wasn't it, graduating? It was, and it was a critical step because it was a, of paramount importance that there was nothing more exciting and more meaningful for a 17-year-old, 18-year-old to graduate with his classmates, and nothing was going to deter me from that goal. Right. Now, we're going to go into our break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk more about that, those particular moments and everything that followed. So, as I say, it is time for us to take the, the, a short break. Uh, we do have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Dr. J.R. Harding. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health & Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. J.R. Harding. Our topic is a young man's journey from adolescence to adulthood via quadriplegia. Um, JR, let's talk about your journey. And first of all, let me ask you, I want you to tell us about the start of your journey, transforming, transforming yourself from star to stud. And those are your words, not mine. You well, I, I, jokingly, I jokingly say that because <laughs> at the time and in high school as a multi-varsity letterman, and uh, one who had a bad habit of dating other people's girlfriends, that the only thing that really mattered to me was, you know, um, the opposite sex and being liked and being socially accepted. And when I returned to high school to graduate with my class, which was my first important goal besides getting out of the hospital, one of the young ladies who I did not date did jump in my lap and kiss me one day. And she said, don't worry, JR. We'll still love you. We still find you attractive and your future will be good. And that empowering moment during my end of my senior year was just really amazing because my next step was to go to college but I really didn't know why I was going to college except for Harding Boys went to college. Now, when you got to college, what were your goals then? I mean, obviously to graduate, but what were your life goals? Had they shaped up when you started in college or were they your life goals yet to come? Well, in college, my life goals were, to be honest, uncertainty. Because in the early 80s, when I had um, entered college in 1984, quite frankly, didn't know any idea what a quadriplegic could do. And I was one of the first quadriplegics to attend a university in southern Kentucky, and they had no experience. And I really was kind of just lost in the uh, underworld, let's say, of misbehaving and social behavior for the first couple of years of college. Now, I'm still talking about this journey through higher education. It seems to me then that you were a pioneer, but there was some other pioneering going on at the same time, in the same period. And that um, They was- were, and they were on the other side of the world of, in the California area in the independent uh, living movement and so forth. And I was lucky enough to be recruited by a Midwest college for early experiments with quadriplegics and spinal cord movements and things like that. And when I joined this uh, Midwest college in Dayton, Ohio, there was about 1,400 other persons with disabilities with every shape, size, and kind and imagination you could possibly perceive. And all of the down that I had just were eviscerated 
when you would see Johnny with no arms and no legs being fed his dinner meal and he is smiling. And what, and when I would have examples like that around me, what was there for me to complain about? So in other words, you were inspired by people who were going through their own journey, and sometimes that journey appeared to you to be more serious, more challenging than even yours. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. And I also then considered myself a person with a disability belonging to this new emerging subculture, and they taught me so much about programs, services, and the way to find my way through higher education. So in other words, the way disability was recognized in the U.S. was changing as you worked your way through the U.S. education, higher education system. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. And as I was entering my master's degree, having overcome substance abuse, which became a personal challenge because when I went to college, no longer did the bells ring for me to play sports. No longer did I have a place, and it was easier to spend time drinking and those kinds of things because I couldn't get in the buildings. I couldn't go to the movie theaters and those kinds of things. And as I reconciled my coexisting disability in conjunction with miraculously getting into graduate school, the Americans with Disabilities Act had occurred. And everything I knew in my heart was now true that I belonged and I had a legal, moral, and ethical obligation to find my place and to contribute. Now, you mentioned um, that you had substance abuse problems, and I want now to bracket my question about those with uh, a question that's really aimed at getting you to tell us, please, about your journey through the healthcare system and all the things that go with healthcare rather than this, what I'll call disability prevention and disability treatment. So what about this uh, substance? Well, those really, since I have spent an enormous amount of time in hospitals, both pre- and post-HMOs, it's really quite shocking because in the early days, the healthcare system focused on my training focused on my independence, focused on my durable medical equipment, my wheelchair, my bed, my shower chair. They, um, we had to pass tests, meaning family members on caregiving, on sitting, on postures, on pressure sores. Fast forwarded to 1998 when I was finishing my doctorate and completing my second year as a trustee of the university system. I had two broken legs, a broken shoulder, and a second spinal cord injury, and I was in and out of that hospital in 90 days, and it wasn't about my skills and abilities. It was about arbitrary scientific benchmarks of the system. Okay, let's talk more about that. I want to understand, then, what you saw that 
worked well in this second period in in hospitals. On the things that you weren't looking back on, it weren't so satisfactory. From well, what did work well was that their understanding of spinal cord injuries, the uh, invasive surgery techniques to fix the spinal cord were were less grotesque, were less medieval, had less scarring, and the healing process was uh, facilitated. However, their ability to uh, match you with your equipment, their ability to handle and train someone with a second spinal cord injury, quite frankly, the rehab system was not ready for that. And it was only because I had had 15 years of independent living experience could I take hold and could I be in charge of my wherewithal. Now, you've said um, several times, really, uh, that your sense of direction, your mental attitude, your general attitude, was fundamental and remains fundamental to your journey and your success in that journey. How would you relate those factors? I mean, many people would probably call them psychological factors. With what your experience was in your second injury, with the way in which the healthcare system attempted to adapt you to your your devices and your wheelchairs and so on, well, I found the system to be um, ineffective, quite frankly. As anyone with challenges knows, even if you have the cash, you can't go buy your wheelchair because they're specially fitted for you. You have a large, medium, and small, but yet they're still tailor-made. And so I find the system um, evicts or dismisses the people from acute care setting prematurely right now and gets them home without the uh, skills and ability to appropriately advocate on their behalf. And so it would be critical for families and individuals to make aware of the not-for-profits, the Centers for Independent Living, and the other community-based services that could really make a difference in their life because um, the healthcare system is really draconian in how quickly it will and shall dismiss you from your benefits. So I'm a retired physician. Let me say this to you. I think what I'm hearing you say is that there's a limit to what my profession can do. Not to say that what it does is wrong or bad or in itself inadequate, what I think you're saying is that there's more, and that's where you found it in your non-for-profits, your um, organizations that support uh, independent living, and those kinds of services. Um, and I guess my question to you is, it's your view, is it, that those are just as essential, those services, as the medical services that uh, are provided. Is that right? Absolutely, that's right, because each of us come from different communities, whether they're small, urban, or rural, and they all have different challenges, they all have different resources, and your home living environments are different. And all of this has to be prepared in order for you to reintegrate into your old environment 
or perhaps you must start over because the modifications or the abilities to tap into all of these community resources are just fundamentally not present in your town. Got it. Now, it is time again for us to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Dr. J.R. Harding. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned because we're coming back to hear more about this powerful, powerful story. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Des Clark. Paul Fresh Clark and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Des Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America Business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. J.R. Harding. Our topic is a young man's journey from adolescence to adulthood via quadriplegia. Now let's talk about the challenges you, JR, encountered in your journey and the ways you worked around them. Uh, My first question to you then is, what do you see now as the three biggest challenges you experienced in your journey? 
Well, I think the first one, because it, it started so young, and the truth was I was so independent and so stubborn that I initially, I had to break free and wander on this road of independence of the road less traveled as a pioneer by myself. Maybe or maybe not, it was a mistake. But where I picked up from the mistake was I learned to ask for help, that I finally learned that the authorities or your elders or the experts or faculty in the university were incredibly talented, and they just honestly had your best interest at hand, and I had to learn not to fight them. The final piece of this was I had to, you know, eventually uh, figure out where was I going to go and how was I going to get there so I could actually earn a living. Now, I want to, you've mentioned your move to the point where you were able to ask for help. Here's the question then. Just how did family, friends, personal care assistants, and others help you work around your challenges? Well, first, let's talk about family. This was a shock to all of us, and none of us had any experience with it. And it was difficult in our family because my family are all very strong individuals and very independent individuals. And then all of a sudden, the whole world focused around me. What did I want to eat? Did I need some help? What did I want to watch for TV? When were we going to church? Can't open the Christmas presents until JR's up. Well, that kind of paradigm was very challenging on the independence of the family and their inter-responsibilities because the world just simply doesn't stop, right? So we had to work it out between us on where those boundaries were, when could I and when should I ask for help. Conversely, my friends um, were, you know, took it as a whole. My new friends adapted with my disability very well. My previous friends, it was a very big leap of faith. And quite frankly, my personal care assistants, I can't thank them enough because they were my guide. They were my lifeline. And simply, they were the ones who kept me healthy in the, in, in the ability to uh, interact with the world. So that was a team effort for you, wasn't it? It, it was. Yeah. Absolutely. But now, saying that, though, some personal care assistants did not turn out to be as warm-hearted and morally balanced as you would like. And I actually had someone wake me up one morning, look at me in the face, and say I'm quitting and left me stranded in the bed. Another time, I had a caregiver steal money from me. And so all of these things, you know, are very tricky to balance when you are counting on others to help you interface with the world that is not universally accessible. And trust is a very valuable component 
and trust can only be given once, and if you screw it up, you can't get it back. And trust in a situation that you were in means absolute dependence, doesn't it? That is to say, the the personal assistant who walked out on you, you could not get up, you could not move. There were things that you could not do because that person was no longer at your side. So your that, trust... That, that is absolutely correct. And trust on that level is you have to displace your worry when you go to sleep at night that they will, in fact, be there in the morning. JR, not many people go through that in their lives. Um, we all, to some degree, depend on somebody for something. But the degree of dependence that you've just described uh, so so well um, emphasizes that value of trust and also the importance of dependence, the ability to be depended upon by the people who are helping the professionals the volunteers, the friends, the family, and the rest of it, they have to be the kind of people you and people like you can count on. That's right, isn't it? Oh, it's quite right. And I think for our listeners, it's most important to remember, nobody is required to help, even family. And so you must balance your needs, your wants, with gratitude, appreciation, and open and honest communication so people understand how you feel and, more importantly, understand why things need to be done. JR, is that your way of giving something back? It's more than thanking them. Is that your way of paying them a respect for what they do as a way of expressing what the value of their service is to you. Is that right? Um, you say it perfectly well, better than I could. And, I, I mean, I am indebted to literally hundreds of individuals, strangers, friends, and family alike, who have taken the time to empower me to participate. Now, I'm going to ask you about workarounds, that is, ways in which you developed uh, approaches, things that you did uh, that helped to overcome the challenges you've been talking about. In other words, it's back to you. You got help from your family, friends, personal care assistants. But what were the things that you did and you thought about and you resorted to? Well, uh, you're spot on with this because no matter how good people are, things do happen in their lives. And so some of those workarounds would be more than one personal care attempt. Perhaps as when the gentleman woke me up and said, I quit, I'm leaving you in the bed, I had already developed sleeping with the telephone next to me. So I was able to call an operator using my tongue and actually getting a girlfriend to come over and help. Um, today we have uh, uh, computers and voice-activated systems, 
And the integration of technology is simply phenomenal. And the difference between 1983 and uh, 2011 in terms of the workarounds are just simply priceless. So that use of technology as a workaround, is that primarily communication, your ability to connect with people, call for help and that kind of thing, or is there more to technology than that? Well, there's absolutely more than that. I mean, today I'm able to drive. Today I'm able to, uh, you know, lift weights. Today I'm able to participate in almost anything I wish to do. But the workaround component is you need to fully understand where you're going, what your limitations are, and what barriers you might encounter or what issues could occur when you're outside of your comfort zone. In other words, you've got to be prepared. Is that right? right. You see, if I can talk about this from another perspective, that is driving, you've got to know where you're going, and you've also got to have some sense of what to do if something goes wrong. Um, and it seems to me that that's the message that you've given us relative to workarounds. Um, well, I think, yes, it's called be prepared, like for national disasters or when traveling on airplanes. You bring your medication, you bring your supplies, because the airlines, you know, they don't intend to lose your wheelchair. They don't intend to lose your carry-on bags. But, frankly, it happens. And you need to know that this is part of the risk of flying. Yeah. There's also the ordinary things of life. Um, that is the day-to-day -day things. I mean, you've already mentioned one of them, which is pretty serious, which is where somebody gets up and quits. But there are also things like uh, power outages. Um, there are things, you know, like the mail not arriving. All those kinds of ordinary, everyday things. Do you go and, so far and, as to have and they, around and, for those? Right, and absolutely, and they occur. And in my house, for example, the city hall knows that uh, power is important. The people who uh, look after my air conditioning and so forth because I live in Florida, it's exceptionally hot. So if my power goes out, or my street power, or my community power goes out, the guys know that, you know, there's a vulnerable citizen in this neighborhood, and they need to put me on a priority list because of the heat issues as being a quadriplegic. I can't regulate my temperature, and we could have serious issues due to the uh, inability to regulate self-body temperature. So this is a form of emergency service, isn't it, that you're talking about? Absolutely. And in some cases, it might be appropriate to have a backup generator, have additional fans, to have ice and water, and other kinds of simple non-technology um, systems in your house or in your garage so you're ready for now what? Right. Now, uh, that takes us into the break once more. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. J.R. Harding. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned, because we're coming back to talk about what needs to be done 
to make things better from what they currently are. Talk to you very soon. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at my. M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. J.R. Harding. Our topic is a young man's journey from adolescence to adulthood via quadriplegia. Um, J.R., I wanted you to talk more about your adult life and the continuing journey and what's next in that journey. So first question then is, as an adult, what have you achieved following the quadriplegia, and what might you not have achieved had the quadriplegia not occurred? J.R.? All right. Well, first, let's start with what I might not have achieved. Well, I certainly would not have achieved a doctorate in education and had a, a profound effect at both the state and federal level on the quality of life of over 50 million Americans and serving as an international beacon for a model universal inclusion of uh, skills and abilities of all individuals. Now, since the quadriplegia, um, the second quadriplegia and the earning of the doctorate, I end the book 
was handing my father my diploma, and I jokingly say to him, now what? And from that now what, I was able to get a home, get married, and have a full-time job and pay rent like everybody else. As a pioneer within the community of uniting the disabled world with the non-disabled world, I just can't frankly account for all the individual and policy changes that have occurred through my voice as a quadriplegic bringing this perspective to the national and state level. I'm going to just come back to you. Early on, you told us that maybe you weren't such a diligent high school student before your, your first accident. Um, and what you're telling us now is that maybe without this challenge, without this journey, you might never have realized your capabilities, your abilities, your academic uh, abilities uh, by getting your doctorate. First of all, is that right? That's absolutely correct. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I had a 2.2 2, 2 GPA in high school because I only needed a 2.0 to play football. I skipped class, I dated girls, and I misbehaved. As you know well, in order to advance in the uh, um, higher education, academics matter. And I graduated with a 3.99 with my doctorate GPA. Very, very key point. And I'm now coming to the question. All right. In the book, you talk about now what. So what are the three now what? For you at this particular point in your life, what next? Are you, what next is coming? What next are your challenges? What next are you going to do? Well, in my um, case, I want to continue to challenge myself. I want to continue to ask for help, and I want to continue to um, set goals to advance the agenda. So one day, there is not the need for individuals like me to unite the policies so that we, in fact, have an inclusive and universal world where there is not a need for uh, disability rules. Now, for our broader public and the now what, I think it's critical for our listeners to understand that things happen. Whether it's right or wrong, things happen. I truly feel that no matter what, you are not given challenges that you're not able to overcome. You must not be afraid to ask for assistance, and you must always keep reasonable and appropriate goals to find your bliss. I'm going to ask you a question now about your message for family caregivers, because you told us that some of the stresses and strains fell heavily on your family. So what is the message that you would like to give to family caregivers like your family who have a member like you with quadriplegia or something equally disabling? JR? Well, I would say to them, join them in the battle, join them in the journey, but allow them to be the 
pilot and allow the family to be the crew that empowers the forward movement. Yeah, talk about the empowering. Say a little bit more what you mean by that. Well, without, you know, a sense of belonging, without a sense of, you know, direction, without a sense of ownership by the individual with a disability, their self-esteem, their emotional state of mind, and most importantly, their physical ability to um, overcome the challenges that only they can overcome with the help of family, friends, and caregivers, will it then be realized? So in other words, it's if you treat the family in this particular way, as being a community, and I mean that in a very positive way, that is a group of people all focused on working together to achieve something worthwhile. The family becomes, in a good way, the community to, to support the person with the, ability, with the disability who is now traveling his or her journey. Is that right? Absolutely. And the family and that community must set the bar high enough in order to achieve the success. If you keep the uh, goals or the expectations low, what is possible will never be achieved. Just to come back to you, you said you described your life. You, you didn't use this phrase, but you pay taxes, you pay the rent, you... You support your family. Uh, you have a paying job. That, for everybody, it seems to me, is a very worthwhile community goal for themselves and for their families. You agree with that, I think? Right. And by achieving some of those fundamental, normal community activities, you'll find a much broader community more willing to give and to jump on the bandwagon to set higher goals. Yeah. And I guess that's the message that I would like our listeners who are family caregivers, as well as people who are listening who also have the kind of challenges you've had to get. That is the higher goal. That is don't settle for less. That is to see the potential. And if I can just pull your leg again... You were a star and a stud with not very good grades. You rolled into a doctorate, a guy with a doctorate and a very fine job who helped shape the value system in the United States of America. And it seems to me that's a very, very worthwhile achievement for everyone, and particularly for you and your own family and all the people around you. So... Time is running out, I'm very sorry to say. Uh, that is the end of this particular episode. And I want to say thank you to our listeners and to encourage you, please, to email us with your comments and questions. And I want to say particular thank you to JR for actually speaking to us on these issues which are often difficult to talk about, but leaving us with that sense of there's achievement, and maybe there's a method in nature's madness, if I can put it that way. That is to say, some of us are given an opportunity to show what we're worth, and 
for every family and for every person with a disability, that's really very much uh, a worthwhile life goal, regardless of what it is that life has thrown at you, the things that have gone wrong, and all those kinds of things. So, in our next episode, we're going to be talking about speaking with technology when your voice doesn't work. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. And thanks very much, JR, for everything you've said. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Gordon. Happy to help, and may everybody find their peace of the world and happiness. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.